Hey, Crossings Podcast community. This week's teaching is called Fathers and Friends and is part 12 in our series on the book of Luke. It was taught by Molly Conaway on January 7th, 2024. Thanks for listening. Good morning. Good to see you all. Thanks for being here. Uh, Earlier this year, uh, my son started kindergarten, and while we were walking to school one day, uh, he was chanting along to himself, as five-year-olds do, uh, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've never heard him say that before, so I said, hey, bud, are you, like, learning the uh, the Pledge of Allegiance at school? He said, no, mom, that's the prayer that we say at school. No one explicitly told him that, but in that moment at 7.30 in the morning, I was trying to figure out how to teach my five-year-old about prayer, allegiances, and Christian nationalism. Uh, What came out of my mouth was, well, that's not really a prayer, but it kind of sounds like one, doesn't it? On August 31st, 2013, I attended my first game at Neyland Stadium. That's a stadium around here. They play the sport American football. (laughs) And at my first game at Neyland Stadium, among all the things I was very confused by, I think the thing I will never forget is this. Uh, The place was like absolute chaos, if you've ever been there. But then someone asked 100,000 people uh, to stand up and to bow in prayer. And the place became silent. And the prayer began like this. Dear God, thank you for this beautiful day in East Tennessee. And thank you for our new coach, Butch Jones. (laughs) I I mean, I peeked open a little bit, like, are you guys hearing this? What are we doing? What are we praying about here? When I was in my 20s in Bible college, I probably would have tried to convince you why this was stupid or inappropriate, but I can't really do that anymore. The older I get the more I realize how much I don't understand prayer and mostly feel like a failure at it. Preaching or teaching about prayer is like falling into the depths of the ocean, I read this week. The truth is I'm not, I'm not very good at prayer. I've read the books and been on the retreats and met with the experts. I've bought the candles and created the prayer spaces. But when people ask me about prayer, I usually try to mumble out a bunch of other religious stuff to make myself look smart to hide the problem. In groups and meetings, I'll sometimes ask somebody else to pray. I disguise it as a a practice in hearing other voices. But really, it's just another way for me to avoid it. The truth is, I would probably rather talk about my weight or my marriage therapy than my prayer life. It makes me feel better when authors and pastors I respect say similar things. Barbara Brown Taylor said, to say that I love God but I do not pray much is like saying I love life but I do not breathe much. The only way I have found to survive my shame is to come at the problem from both sides, exploring two distinct possibilities. That prayer is more than my idea of prayer and that some of what I actually do in my life may constitute as genuine prayer. We're midway through, as Caleb said, a long study of the Gospel of Luke. We're looking at the way the writer Luke tells the story of Jesus, paying attention to the Jesus Luke wants us to know, 
following the upside-down way of Jesus that Luke wants us to understand. And today we're in Luke chapter 11. Last week, Caleb uh, told the story at the end of Luke 10 of the two women, Mary and Martha. And immediately after that story, we get this one. He was praying in a certain place. One author this week said they like to imagine this story taking place right outside of Martha's home. After he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, may your name be revered as holy. May your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. Of course, there are all kinds of translations to this prayer. You may have learned this as the Lord's Prayer. It shows up again in the Gospel of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. You can see some of the slight variations in the way Matthew tells it. Out of curiosity, how many of you grew up in a church or in a home where the Lord's Prayer was recited regularly, maybe even daily? Anybody? A few of you. Yeah. We could easily spend several weeks working through this prayer line by line. I mean, even just the first line, Father, our Father, as it says in Matthew. In Aramaic, this is the word Abba, a term that implies both the respect and the tenderness or intimacy a young child might share with their father. Uh, The metaphor of God as Father first appears way back in the Hebrew Bible in Exodus. The Lord said to Moses, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. So Moses goes to Pharaoh demanding that he let God's children go. And here God as parent, God as father, is associated with the God who enters into the suffering of their child. Like a parent, God would serve as the protector, making a way to freedom from slavery. God as father implies a respect that one, especially in the ancient world, would have given to a parent or an elder. It can point to a dependency. It can point to genealogy, Jesus as God's son, bearing the image of God as a father. It can also be a political reference. Emperor Augustus was called the father of the fatherlands, Who wrote our constitution? It was the founding fathers. To place God at or above the level of the kings or politicians means something. God as father isn't the only metaphor for God. There are lots of them. It's probably one of the most common we use in our tradition. There are, of course, metaphors more feminine in nature. God as a nursing mother, God as a midwife, God as a mother hen collecting her young under her wing. For some of you, the image of God as father is comforting. It feels protecting. The image represents well how you understand both God and your actual father to be. And for some of you, you have to do so many mental and theological gymnastics to be able to spit out the line, Our Father. You can't even get onto the next line of the prayer. For some of you, uh, the metaphor of God as Father makes your mind and your stomach swirl so much because of your own relationship with your Father or your relationship with yourself as Father. It's okay, right? It's okay. 
If you're in a season where the metaphor of God as Father doesn't work, it's okay. Find a different metaphor. I don't think God minds, really. I think what's actually maybe more important, at least here in Luke, than referring to God as parent or God as Father, is the recognition that you can't have a parent without a child. And we would probably do well to identify ourselves more as children, recognizing our children have more to teach us about God and about ourselves than I think most of us understand most days. By the way, we do need help with our children upstairs. (laughs) See what I did? Maybe when Jesus began teaching his disciples about prayer that day, beginning with God as Father, was the only way Jesus knew how to begin teaching prayer to five-year-olds who were confusing it with things like the Pledge of Allegiance. Not because they were stupid, but because they are, we are children. Another important thing to note is the communal nature of this prayer, of this Lord's Prayer. This is not a private, individual thing. This is about our daily bread, our debts, our forgiveness, our rescue. It's an expression of a communal need, a common dependence on God and one another for even the most basic needs of life. This is a communal longing for the wholeness and healing and restoration that comes with God's kingdom. Give us our daily bread. Again, the early listeners would have remembered the story of Exodus, where God's people had escaped slavery in Egypt. They were wandering in the wilderness. And then the Lord says to Moses, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. And each day, the people shall go out and gather enough for the day. A prayer for our daily bread is both very real and practical need for food, sustenance to survive and flourish, but bread is also a symbol. We break bread together each week at a table, the body of Christ broken for you. It's a way that we physically and tangibly participate in the grace and the story of God together as a community. God, give us today the bread that we need. Again, I wish we had more time to spend on each line of this prayer, but Jesus, after saying this prayer, instead of explaining it line by line, he does what Jesus often did, and that is to tell a story. And this story, this parable that comes next, is only found in the Gospel of Luke. Okay, so, okay, and do not bring us uh, to the time of trial, but rescue us from evil. And he said this to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. For a friend of mine has arrived, and I have nothing to set before him. And he answers from within, Do not bother me. The door has already been locked, and my children are in bed with me. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything, out of friendship... At least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So here's the scene. Here's the commentary on prayer that Jesus gives. Uh, A.J. Levine and Ben Witherington in their commentary tell it similarly. Okay, there are two friends living in the same village. And the first friend, we'll call him Mr. Host, has just welcomed a friend, a traveler, into town. Uh, Much like Mary and Martha had just welcomed Jesus and the disciples. 
And there are great expectations of hospitality and welcome in this culture. Maybe you have visited a country or a place where you are blown away by the hospitality given to you. But it was getting late, and Mr. Host doesn't have any food to feed his guest. And the stores are closed, and like he needs to feed his guest. So he goes next door to ask his buddy, we'll call him Mr. Sleepy, to borrow some food. Because friends just do that for each other. And not feeding a guest also may reflect poorly on the entire village and the hospitality of the community. So Mr. Host knocks on his buddy's door and asks to borrow some food, but Mr. Sleepy is in bed. He's tired, it's warm, the door is closed, the kids are asleep. And the temptation is to stay in bed rather than get up to help somebody else feed their guest. But Mr. Sleepy knows Mr. Host and knows Mr. Host won't stop asking, stop knocking, and friendship triumphs, friendship trumps convenience, so he gets up and helps his buddy out. Now, if you've heard these verses, this story before, it's possible that you've heard the lesson go like this. Sometimes in prayer, God doesn't give you what you want, so what should you do? You should be persistent. Keep asking. And maybe that's true, but that's not exactly what Luke is talking about here. Another way you can translate this word persistence in the Greek is something like the word shamelessness. And shame is an important concept in the ancient world. Mr. Host shamelessly asks for bread. It is what he needed to provide for his visitor now. He gets what he asks for because he was unashamed of his middle-of-the-night behavior. H. Gregory Snyder says, the picture is consistent, once again, with the audacity of the opening word of the prayer, Abba, Father. The central message is not keep trying, but rather presume on God as a young child might impose on a parent without regard for convention or giving offense. Who in this world is a better example of shamelessness and persistence in asking for things than a child asking their parent? Luke mostly seems to want us to pay attention to the childish relationship, I mean that in a positive way, between the one praying and the one to whom the prayer is being offered, the relationship between the one asking and the one to whom the request is directed to. Here's what I love about what we've read so far in this story. The Lord's Prayer and the story of the friend at midnight. None of this is actually intending to tell the disciples exactly how to pray or exactly what prayer is. None of this is about like the technicalities of prayer. It's not like pray in this way, at this time, at all times, using these steps. When the disciples say, teach us how to pray, it's not like they were clueless. They were Jewish. They would have been familiar with the Psalms. They would have been familiar with the blessings for food, morning and evening prayers. They're not asking how to pray as if they've never done it before. They're asking about what prayer might look like and how it works as followers of Jesus in this upside-down kingdom that he's teaching them about. And all Jesus gives them is some insight into their relationship to God and their relationship to one another, 
And he does so by drawing on some really human, earthy, ordinary pictures. Pictures of bread, pictures of friends, pictures of fathers and of neighbors and of needs. And Jesus tells a story and describes well the human experience of prayer and faith and God, doesn't he? Like in the story here, doesn't actually paint God or the divine in a very flattering way. If God is the one to whom our requests are directed, at first the response is totally like apathetic, like he's asleep. How often does your view on prayer become complicated? Because the God to whom you are directing your prayer seems to be asleep with regard to the injustice and suffering of the world and in our own lives. Author Lauren Winner, I've shared this before, said this, On some days I know instinctively that God is closer to me than my nearest neighbor. On other days, God seems distant. But some days God is neighborly and close at hand. One morning I see a jackdaw at my window on the branch of a tree, and for a week or so I think about how God is like a bird. And sometimes I fear God, and sometimes I don't give God a passing glance. And then I feel I think I should think about God more. Sometimes a hymn gets caught in my hair, and I sing it all week long, off and on, without ever thinking hard about what it says about God. Some days God feels like an abyss. Some days God feels like the father I always wanted. And some days God seems like the father I actually have. Some days I know that God is whatever gives me solace and wherever I abide. On some days, maybe many days, I don't picture God at all. If you, like me, picture God in lots of different ways, or if sometimes God seems easy to speak about, and on some days you have no words for God, and sometimes you feel that there are too many words for God, so many that the abundance stumps you. If that is the case, then you are pretty much right in line with how the Bible invites us to imagine God. In some very singular ways, in dizzyingly hundreds of ways, sometimes in no way at all. Luke concludes his story on prayer this way. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, and everyone who searches finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asked for a fish, would give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asked for an egg, would give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Is there any among you, Jesus says. It's like saying, imagine. Imagine a parent who loves and desires goodness and flourishing for their child. And if a child asks that parent for a fish or for an egg, the parent will give them the food they need because that's the good and right thing to do. Not because of any need or desire for reciprocation, but because it's what fathers, good ones, do. 
It's what friends, good ones, do. This applies to us also. A.J. Levine and Ben Witherington say, although the traditional reading of the saying is that God provides what we need, in Luke's context, the saying is more about the relationship among the disciples. They will not withhold what they have. They do not keep debts, and they provide when people need bread. All a follower needs to do is ask. Ask and you will receive reflects a community where immediate need is immediately met. Prayer is the medium, then, by which the disciples make their requests to God. But friends also should know that they can ask other members of their friendship circle for what they need. The door will be opened by friends and by God. And I sometimes wonder if this whole thing is so hard for us uh, because we have such a hard time asking for what we actually need from one another. And whether this is about God giving what's being asked for or the community providing for one another, I know you all well enough to know that some of you are still calling BS because you asked shamelessly and persistently and life keeps handing you scorpions. And I wish that Luke or Jesus gave us a more concrete answer about that. I wish there was another section of this story about what to do when the neighbor friend stays asleep and the door stays shut. When the Lord's Prayer like, adds a line of like, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Like the psalmist prays. Luke's Jesus leaves some pretty big questions about God and prayer unresolved. Maybe that's better. Maybe that's the point. Maybe if we knew it all, we wouldn't be children anymore. Maybe prayer is less about looking for answers than it is about looking for God and looking for ourselves. Some questions I ask myself when I read this text are, what is it I'm asking for? And is there something deeper, something beneath what I'm asking for? What is the image or picture of God I find or don't find when I go asking? If God is something like a father or a parent, what does it look like for me to approach God as a child? What stops me from asking God for the things I want and need? What stops me from asking my neighbors and my friends for the things I need? And what happens when After all my deconstruction of prayer, I decide to pray anyway. Pastor, author Nadia Boltz-Weber encouraged me this week to write uh, the Lord's Prayer from Luke 11 in my own words. Uh, Maybe this would be a good practice for you this week also. Would you pray with me? Father, our Father, our Holy Parent, the source of our being, the source of all creation and new life, who loves without condition. May your name be revered as holy. Even when we label so, so many other things in this world holy, worthy of our attention and allegiance, may we discover that there is even still an incomparable holiness, otherness in you, May your kingdom come, even just a little bit of it. 
Would you make this place look just a little more like heaven than what it actually looks like some days? May your kingdom come set things right in all these kingdoms we've built for ourselves. Give us each day our daily bread, all of us, our daily bread, our daily rice, our daily corn, our daily water, our daily just what we need. Give us the daily desire to be good friends and neighbors. Give us the daily desire for a common good. Forgive our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. For the things we've done, but mostly for the things we've left undone. Forgive us for the ways we judge our neighbors and our friends. For the ways we treat our own families and our own bodies. Forgive us when we distract ourselves so deeply that we become unable to see what it is we most need forgiveness for. Forgive us when we become so enamored with ourselves that we are unable to forgive others and therefore hold us both hostage. Do not bring us to the time of trial, to the time when our addictions and our anxieties and our apathies and our self-righteousness bring us to a tipping point. Rescue us, deliver us. Bring us out of the cycles and the tapes that play in our heads that tell us we aren't enough. As Jesus taught his disciples, God, here we are as children. Not entirely sure what we believe about you most of the time. Throwing our hopes and longings at your door. Hoping and trusting that your love is strong enough to do something about it and make yourself known to us in the process.